today we're going to be thinking about God's design for marriage from Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 22 to 33. Let me lead us in prayer and then we'll consider God's word together. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we consider now your glorious plan for marriage, help me to preach your word faithfully and fill us with your spirit that we may embrace and live out your good will to the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our topic today is God's glorious design for marriage, his design for an ordered relationship filled with sacrificial love and gentle submission. It's a wonderful design, but I think it is one that many of us struggle to embrace and to live out. I think overall Malaysia is one of the most hierarchical societies in the world. In 2014, Malaysia topped the Global Power Index. The Power Index measures the extent to which less powerful members of organizations and institutions, such as the family, accept and expect that power is distributed unequally. And Malaysia's scores show that we are the most power-dominated country, in fact, in the whole world. Of all the countries in the world, then, we should be the country that is best able to understand the idea of authority and submission. Uh, that is, I guess, if we weren't so used to seeing the corruption of power, power used to dominate, power used for self-benefit. We submit to our leaders because we must, but often we are disillusioned with them. We accept authority and submission, but that doesn't mean that we like it. And I think that may be particularly the case in marriage. Now, in many parts of the world, the S word, and I mean submission, has become almost a swear word. That a wife should submit to her husband is often seen as antiquated, traditional, patriarchal, and perhaps even oppressive. In part, such a hatred of submission, I guess, is justified with the prevalence of domestic violence, men using their authority to, to dominate rather than to serve. Malaysians, I, I guess, they traditionally follow marriage norms, but again, that doesn't mean that it's something that we like. In some cases, we actively reject those norms, and if not outwardly, we do so in our hearts. And so this morning, I want us to return to God's Word. I want us to think again about God's glorious design for marriage, His design grounded in the Gospel, and I want us to see how good it is, how beautiful it is. I want us to see that God's design is something to be embraced and celebrated and, and lived out because God, our Creator, knows how marriage works best, how your marriage will work best. Well, let's remind ourselves of the context. We've seen that Ephesians is all about God's gracious plan to unite all things under the rule of King Jesus. We've noticed that this letter falls into two parts, chapters 1 to 3, what God has done, and chapters 4 to 6, how we are to respond. Chapters 1 to 3, we've seen that by God's grace, he's blessed us with every spiritual gift, and he's raised us from spiritual death to spiritual life, and he's broken down every barrier between us, bringing peace with God and peace with one another. And in chapters 4 to 6, we've been considering our response to the gospel, how in chapter 4, verse 1, we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. And we, so far we've looked at what it looks like corporately as we speak the truth in love to one another, to build the church to, to maturity. 
And we've seen what it means for us individually as we put off the old self and put on the new self, relating to one another in truth and forgiveness and love. And we've seen what it, what look, what it looks like for us to live in this dark world as we walk in love and purity and wisdom. But in today's passage and the following weeks, we will begin to consider what does it mean for us to live out the gospel in our households, in our marriages, as parents and children, as workers and bosses. And to orient ourselves, we saw last week that a, that a key mark of the spirit-filled life is godly submission in response to the gospel. And it's really important that we understand marriage in that gospel context as a, as a practical example of a spirit-filled life. Look back at verse 18, just before our passage. Paul says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he goes on in, uh, to explain what he means by this spirit-filled life. Verse 19, he says, Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, the, one of the key marks of the Spirit-filled life, it's not the miraculous gifts, not just a life of thankfulness and praise, a key mark of the Spirit-filled life is godly submission. Because it is the Spirit of God that brings us under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It is the Spirit of God that empowers to live out a life under the Lordship of Jesus in every part of life. And it is the Spirit then that brings us into a life of submission. And we'll see today what that means to be uh, authority and submission in marriage. And then in the following weeks, authority and submission, parents and children, workers and bosses. And it's really important that we that read, read these three examples together because it really clarifies what Paul means when he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul doesn't mean that we all submit to each other all the time. You know, that wives submit to husbands, but husbands also need to submit to wives. You know, taking turns. Now, submission in the Bible is always one way. One person willingly yielding to the authority of another person. And so children submit to parents. Parents don't submit to children. Workers submit to their bosses. Bosses don't submit to their workers. And in marriage, submission is not mutual. We'll see in a moment. Wives submit to husbands. Husbands love their wives. God puts each one of us in different sets of relationships that have a proper order to them. And part of living out a spirit-filled Christian life is to recognize that order, embrace that order joyfully, and live it out. And I hope you'll see this morning that this spirit-filled, empowered life is beautiful and glorious. Well, the second thing we notice as we come to this passage on marriage is that human marriage is modelled after the ultimate marriage between Christ and his church. Human marriage is modelled after the ultimate marriage of Christ and his church. We see that very clearly in verses 31 and 32. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And so Paul takes us back here to God's beautiful design for marriage in Genesis 2 before the fall. 
And he reminds us marriage is meant to be an intimate and, and lifelong union between one man and one woman for life, a union so close, so united, that they're no longer two, but they become one. So that's no longer, in marriage, it's no longer you and me, or your money and my money, or your family, my family, your problems, my problems. It's always we, it's always us, it's our money, it's our family, it's our problems, it's our joy, it's always us. Because in marriage, two become one. And God's design for marriage is a lifelong union filled with faithfulness and steadfast love where we are faithful to one another for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, as long as we both shall live. That's, that, that's God's design for marriage that was given in Genesis 2. But then we have a real surprise in verse 32 as Paul explains that human marriage was always intended to serve a greater purpose, to be a picture of the ultimate marriage, the marriage between Jesus Christ and his church. Verse 32, he goes on, This mystery is profound, and I am saying it refers to Christ and the church. And so the Bible is saying that the ultimate marriage, the marriage to which all other marriages point and are modelled upon, is the marriage between Jesus Christ and his people. Jesus Christ is the ultimate husband, God's people, the ultimate bride, and God's glorious purpose for our earthly marriages is that they reflect, that they, they showcase for the world this perfect relationship between Jesus and his people. We've seen that throughout the book of Ephesians. The church is, is God's prayer, where we see God's rule at work in this world, making known God's wisdom and grace and power and love to the, to the heavenly beings. And it is in this heavenly marriage, this, this ultimate marriage, well, that is the marriage that is held up for us as the model for our human Marriages, verse 24 says, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to the, in everything to their husbands. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And so God's intention is that every marriage should mirror and reflect the relationship between Jesus and his people. Marriage is meant to be a glorious testimony to the world. We are meant to be living, walking examples in our marriages of what God is doing, saving a people for himself who gladly yield to Christ's loving rule. That's why marriage is not uh, two people with the same role, because Christ and the church are different. Jesus rules over his church. Human marriage is model, is pattern on heavenly marriage. And this makes marriage a real privilege. It makes it a real glorious institution. See, marriage is not just about me being happy or about having a family or fulfilling my needs, although we do all those things. But marriage ultimately is about glorifying God. It's about serving the gospel, proclaiming the gospel to the world. And what that means for us is that if we want to have a successful marriage, a, a godly, a Christ-honouring marriage, 
And what we need to do is look to Christ. We need to think about our relationship with Him. We need a Christ-centered, a God-glorifying marriage. Because it is easy, isn't it, to love on the wedding day, when everything's beautiful, when everything's perfect. But it is much harder to love your, when your spouse is selfish or proud or absent or angry. But marriage is a lifetime. It will have good times and it will have bad times. And if we're going to have a successful marriage, a God-honoring marriage, a God-glorifying marriage, we must always remember what Christ has done for his people and seek to emulate and live out that perfect marriage in our own human marriages as husband and wife. Well, what will that look like for wives and husbands? Well, firstly, godly wives submit respectfully. Godly wives submit respectfully. Paul addresses the wives first in verses 22 to 24. Let's pick up at verse 22. He says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself. It's saviour. So wives are to proclaim the gospel in their marriage as they gladly and willingly submit to the loving leadership of their husband as they put themselves under the authority of their husband, living out that original creation order. Do you remember in Genesis 2? The man is created first to work the ground and keep it. The woman is created second to be the helper for the man to help him in his work. The man and the woman, they're equal in value, different in role. The husband leads, the wife submits. Together they serve the Lord. Now it's really important, I think, that we understand in marriage that submission does not mean inferiority. Right? The fact that uh, God calls wives to submit to their husbands, it doesn't mean that men are smarter or more important, or more emotionally stable, or better decision makers, or more gifted as leaders. doesn't mean anything like that. I'm pretty sure that we can think of plenty of marriages where the wife is smarter, more gifted, stronger, and wiser. I think I got the good deal in our marriage. God's ordering in marriage, it's not a matter of ability, and it's certainly not a matter of value. It is simply a matter of role. I think we see this in the Trinity. The Father and the Son are equal in their divinity, but they are different in their role. The Father initiates and sends the Son. The Son submits to the Father and willingly obeys Him. Now, they're of equal status. They have different roles. And the fact that the Son submits to His Heavenly Father, it doesn't make Him any less divine, and it doesn't make Him any less important. And so in marriage, submission is about God's ordained roles. It's not about value or ability. Now the model for submission here is the relationship between Jesus Christ and his church. We see that in verse 24. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So just as Christians joyfully submit to their Saviour, so the wife is to submit joyfully, willingly, obediently to the headship 
of her husband. Now, I think if that doesn't sound marvellous and beautiful, it's quite likely we haven't understood it yet. So I think it's important that we take some time here to uh, explain clearly what submission is actually meant to look like in practical terms. Uh, submission doesn't mean that wives may never voice their opinion. Submission doesn't mean that wives must be doormats. Any loving husband should listen to the opinions of his wife and take them to heart. And submission doesn't mean that the wife will have no interest outside the home. Uh, in the ancient world, the home was the place of economic output and women were integrally involved in the economic activity of the house. Wives are to deploy their resources and their gifts for the well-being of the family. And thirdly, submission, we notice, is unconditional. Notice it doesn't say in this passage, submit to your husband if he's loving. Submit to your husband when he makes wise decisions, but if he's an idiot, then you can take the lead for yourself. It doesn't say submit when it suits. It doesn't say submit outwardly, but then in your heart grumble against him. And it doesn't, it doesn't say make sure that he knows that you were right and he was wrong. The world, of course, teaches be strong, assert yourself, fight for your rights. But this is very different. This is beautiful. This is wise. In the Bible, the essence of biblical womanhood is not outward beauty, but gentle submission, what Peter calls the inward beauty of the heart. Biblical womanhood is about willingly and lovingly yielding to the loving leadership of your husband, allowing him to serve you, respecting his leadership, accepting his decisions. And it's meant to look something like this. The husband says to the wife, darling, let me wash the dishes tonight while you sit and watch TV. And the wife gladly submits, puts on the TV. The husband says, darling, let me get up at 2am tonight to put the baby back to sleep so you can rest. The wife gladly submits and goes back to dreaming. The husband says, let me help with the finances. Let me play with the kids. Let me pick up the kids from school. Let me plan the holiday. Let me arrange to look after our parents. Let me do anything and everything that I possibly can for your good and benefit. And the wife submits gladly and willingly to his generous love. That's what it's meant to be. Now, of course, submission to a loving husband like that is easy, isn't it? But sometimes submission will be difficult. When the husband says, darling, I think we should move here or there to serve the gospel. The husband says, darling, I think we should have one more child. Darling, I think we should open our home to this group for ministry. Or when you just don't agree with his decision. And so we must consider very carefully who we marry. As a woman, you must find someone that you can respect, that you, that you can submit to, that you can follow. Someone that you're absolutely sure will always act for your good and benefit above himself.
But even then, submission will be difficult. Because we're all sinful people. And it will be difficult, especially when, we're, when we disagree. That's when submission is really put to the test. Will I yield or will I fight? And submission, therefore, can be quite scary. But a marriage can only be a, a united partnership, serving God together as we embrace our God-given roles. The man is the leader, the wife is the helper. A marriage with two leaders is a misery. It's full of constant competition and conflict, but submission is possible. Submission is beautiful. And submission is what God has called us to. Well, that brings us to point two. Godly husbands love sacrificially. Godly husbands love sacrificially. In verses 25 to 30, Paul then addresses the husbands, and notice he's got about twice as much to say to the men. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so if the men were thinking just now, oh, marriage sounds great, now I've got my own personal slave. Well, you've got, the, you've got totally wrong what marriage is all about. See, a wife is not a younger replacement model for your mother, there to do the cooking and wash the clothes while you watch TV and play computer games. The wife is not there to serve you. You are there to serve your wife. Because in the Bible, leadership is all about sacrificial service. Leadership in the Bible is about spending yourself for the sake of those you lead. The husband's job is to love his wife like Jesus loves his people. How did Jesus love his people? Verse 25 tells us Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christ sacrificed everything for his people. He left the glories of heaven to die for his enemies on a cross. He was hung up on a cross, naked and ashamed, that he might save us from our sins. There was nothing that Jesus would not do for his people. There is no effort that he would spare. There was no cost that was too great. His love was total. His love was costly. His love was sacrificial. Jesus Christ loved us to death. Jesus' love was unconditional. Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. Jesus didn't wait until we asked him. Jesus didn't wait until we made ourselves worthy or deserving of his love. He loved us when, he, when we didn't deserve it. He loved us for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. And that is what husbands are called to love like. They are called to love sacrificially. They are called to love unconditionally. They are called to lay down their, their lives for their wives, putting the wife's needs above their own at all times expending themselves for the good of the wife. And notice it doesn't say, love the wife when she submits to you. But when she's difficult and disrespectful, then don't bother. No, Jesus loved us when we were sinners. And husbands are called to love the same. Do you see, the essence of biblical manhood, it's, it's not about going to the gym and looking buff 
I thank God for that. It's not about being an expert on computer games. It's not about being good at building or fixing things. Again, thank God for that. <laughs> Biblical manhood is about leading in sacrificial service in the church, in society, in the home. And so if you would be a husband, then you must find a girl for which you are willing to sacrifice everything to put her needs first. Someone for whom you're willing to sacrifice your career, sacrifice your hobbies, sacrifice your time, your sleep, anything, everything, for her good above your own. And if you're a woman looking for a husband, that is the kind of man you're looking for. One who will sacrifice everything for you. See, what makes a good husband is not his income, it is not his wit, it is not his career prospects, it's not, it's not your shared hobbies, it's, it's not even his good looks. What makes a man a good husband is his godliness. Women should marry a man who is willing to commit himself for a lifetime to sacrificing himself for your benefit. Now, of course, you're not expecting perfection. Only Jesus is the perfect husband. All men will fail. But we're looking for someone who shows growth and maturity, who's already sacrificially serving now, and is doing so more and more. Do you see, if, if men fulfill their role, sacrificing everything, then submission is not hard. And so perhaps one of the reasons why women find it so hard to submit to men is that, well, men have really failed in their role. Failed to love sacrificially, unconditionally, like this. Perhaps the problem is not with submission as a concept, but with our failure to love like Jesus. Well, verses 26 to 27 shows us the goal of the husband's sacrificial leadership. Uh, we're told that Christ gave up his life, verse 26, that he might sanctify her, the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. He, God, invites us to consider the bride on her wedding day. You know, up at 4 a.m. with all the makeup and the hair, to, 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 to picture her in all her beauty and purity as she walks down the aisle to her husband to be. And as we contemplate that picture, and we get a glimpse of what Jesus has done for his people, his church. Jesus died on the cross that he might sanctify the church, that he might make his bride holy and pure and set apart for him. Jesus died to, to cleanse us from all our sins, from every impurity, so that we may one day walk down the aisle to his heavenly throne as his pure and spotless bride to enjoy this intimate, eternal relationship with him. That's the heavenly marriage. And verse 28 tells men to love their wives in the same way. 
Now, of course, Paul doesn't mean that men are to die for their wives on the cross. No, but they are to constantly remind them of that gospel word of Jesus, which will sanctify and purify their hearts. In other words, the husband's primary concern must be for the holiness of his wife. To lead her, to pray for her, to read the Bible with her, to go to church with her, to do all that he can so that on that day when Jesus returns, she may be found trusting in Christ, clothed in the purity of his righteousness. And that means if the husband would be the head of the family, he must not only lead it sacrificially, he must lead it spiritually through reading the word of God, through praying for his spouse and his children. If you're a husband or a husband-to-be, recognize the real responsibility that you have for the spiritual growth and direction of your family. And if you are not reading the Bible and praying with your wife, Start today. And if you're not doing devotions with your children, start today. Because as the head of the family, you are to lead in these spiritual matters. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that the husband can ignore his wife's physical and emotional needs. Verse 28, we, we read on, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Remember, in marriage, two become one flesh. So that as the husband loves his wife, he's, he's loving a part of himself. And so the husband is to delight in his wife. He is to nourish her, to cherish her, to long to see her grow and flourish under his care. The husband is not to neglect his wife for his work. The husband's not to abandon his wife so he can go off with his friends. The husband's not to give his affections to another. Husbands are to treasure their wives like Jesus loves and treasures his church. Now I think that kind of love is hard even if you have a very godly wife. And of course, there will be times of difficulty. There will be times of conflict. There will be times when you are tempted to stop giving and giving and giving and instead give up. And so it's in those times that we must remember again and again and again the sacrificial, the unconditional love of Jesus for us. Look at Jesus, how he gave his life for you. Look at Jesus, he sacrificed everything for you. And follow him. Pray that he'll help you. Be the first to forgive. Be the first to serve. Be the first to love and do it without being asked. Love your wife like Christ loved the church. And submission will be, well, it'll be so much easier, won't it, for your wife. Well, let's conclude. God's intention is that human marriage mirrors and models the ultimate marriage between Jesus and his people. The wife 
joyfully submits to her husband like the church submits to Christ. The husband sacrificially loves his wife like Jesus loved the church. It's a beautiful picture of marriage, isn't it? It's a glorious picture of marriage. It is so different to the world's view of marriage that is so selfish, self-focused. Submission, putting away your needs to submit to your husband. Sacrificial love, putting aside your needs to sacrifice and look to the needs of your wife. As you live out this kind of marriage, it will be glorious. And as the watching world looks on at your everyday life, they will see the gospel lived, embodied, proclaimed in your life. Now, we'll only be able to do this in the long term as we remember what Jesus has done for us. Wives, remember the perfect submission of Jesus as he went to the cross in obedience to his heavenly Father. Husbands, remember the perfect love of Jesus when he sacrificed his life for our sins. Now, of course, there's going to be times that we fail. Many times. We're all work in progress. When we fail, we must keep looking to Jesus, remembering how his death has washed away all of our sins. We must keep trusting in him. Because with Jesus at the centre of our marriage, there is always hope, there is always forgiveness, there is always grace. Look again at Jesus. Whatever the problem is, try again. And as we succeed in letting Christ be the centre of our marriage, it will shine forth to the world. It will be a glorious showcase of the relationship between Jesus and his people, full of sacrificial, unconditional love, full of honour and respect and submission. Now I know that uh, some of us this morning long for this type of marriage, but for whatever reason, we don't have it or we may never have it. And that may be very painful for us because marriage is such a good gift from God. When life doesn't work out as we hope, when our marriage doesn't work out as we hope, well, it can be very, very painful indeed. And so as we finish, I want to say to you, whether you are single or married, whether you're widowed or divorced, whether you're happily married or it's all messed up or whatever has happened, Fix your eyes again on Jesus. Fix your eyes again on the perfect marriage that is already yours. Fix your eyes on the marriage between Jesus and his people. Because Jesus will never fail us. Our relationship with Jesus will never disappoint us. Jesus' love and presence will never leave us not even at death. He has saved us to be his spotless and holy bride. He has brought us into intimate union with him. And he is bringing us to his heavenly throne where we'll enjoy that perfect fellowship and love with him 
for all eternity. And in response to his love, we can yield our lives to him. We can yield our marriages to him. And as we submit to him, husbands love their wives. Wives submit to their husbands for the glory of God. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we want to praise you for your glorious design for marriage. We thank you for the sacrificial and unconditional love of your Son who gave himself on the cross for our sins. We thank you that you've made us your holy and spotless bride, that you've brought us into deep, intimate union with him. Father, help us to live in response to the gospel, gladly yielding to his rule over our lives and seeking to serve him wherever we are called. Father, we pray for those of us who are married, that you'll help us to live out the gospel in our marriage. Help us, help husbands to love their wives. Help wives to submit to their husbands that our marriages may shine forth the gospel. For those of us who are not married, who are single or widowed, who are unhappily married, Lord, comfort our hearts in the knowledge of that intimate relationship we have with our Lord Jesus. Help us to know his deep love. Help us to submit to him and find perfect joy and fulfillment in him. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.